0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, I heard a story about a man who joined a monastery. Man who joined a monastery and uh, this this particular monastery you had to take a vow of silence, so they didn't speak. You got two words a year that you could speak and so after the first year of the man uh, joining the monastery, he met with the head monk. I'm not sure if that's a thing, but you probably aren't either, so just bear with me. He m- went with the med- head monk, and he used his two words just to simply say, bed, hard. Went the next year, totally silent. Uh, that next year, he come before the main monk again, and he said, food, bad. Another year went by, he comes that third year, and finally his two words were, I quit. The head monk spoke up and said, well, you might as well, all you've done is complain for the last three years. he wasn't very content with his situation. Well, uh, Paul tells us, where we, when we think of Paul, we learn about a man who learned to be content. I've used this illustration many times before, but it really fits with Paul in his situation. Uh, we speak of people that are uh, thermometers versus being a thermostat. And our goal ought to be to be thermometers. In other words, a thermometer doesn't change anything around it. Uh, a thermometer is affected by its surroundings. It doesn't change anything. It just registers the temperature. It's always going up or down. But a thermostat regulates the surroundings and changes them when they need to be changed. A thermometer lacks the power to change things. Instead, the thermometer is changed by circumstances but by God's grace when we learn the con- when we learn contentment by the grace of God we ought to be thermometers we ought to be able to set the temperature not always be spiritually up and down the apostle paul this fits him perfectly he was not an up and down roller coaster type of christian uh, are you a roller coaster christian uh, and or have you ever been a roller coaster Christian? Can I ask that? Because you're looking at somebody that one time in my life I was a roller coaster Christian. Uh, man, I had some. Re- I mean, when I when I was up on the the top, I was just look out, Ron. Man, there's Jesse. Woo, you know, I'm just on fire and everything. But things go back down, and all of a sudden, where's Jesse at tonight? Uh, he d- didn't make it to church, you know, and uh, kind of something came up, and what you know, or whatever the case may be, you just never knew. There was a time in my life that I. I was a roller coaster Christian. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, the Lord's helped me with some of that. But uh, so Paul was definitely he, he had he had up and he had up and downs. His situations changed, but regardless of that, he was steady. He went right on doing his work, serving Christ. His personal references at the close of this letter indicate that he was not a victim of circumstances, but the victor over circumstances. And folks, that's exactly how you and I can be through Christ. Remember, Paul was a great man of God, but the secret to his power is Christ, the same Christ that we have, the same Holy Spirit that you and I have, the same truth that we have that's it. We don't have to be a victim, and I could just just put an exclamation point right there. Don't be a victim. Uh, but we don't have to be a victim in particular of our circumstances, but we can be a victor over our circumstances. Notice some of these cool things about Paul here in Philippians chapter number 4. Notice in verse 11, he says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've learned this. Uh, so he said this. One of the ways he got victory over his circumstances is he learned to be able to say this I can accept all things. I can accept all things. Notice in verse number 13, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So he says, I can accept all things. I can do all things. And of course, the, the idea behind that verse is we can do whatever it is, all that God would have us to do. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's not God's will for me to be able to dunk a basketball. I finally gave up on that dream uh, a month or two ago, uh, but I, I kept on hoping and trying, but it's just not God's will. So I, I can't use this verse and say, but I can do all things through Christ. I can dunk that basketball. And believe me, if for some reason God wanted me to, and I, and I've, and I should back up there, I have, I have actually dunked many times, Tyron, and he's not going to believe this, but I have dunked, yes, I have. Uh, and I have actually been in some slam dunk competitions, and I, and I beat a fellow pastor in a slam dunk competition, uh, but since he was the pastor of the church, Brother Jeremy Simpson if you're out there, uh, he, uh, he said, oh, we'll just call it a tie, which means I won. There's one caveat, though. We changed the standard. <laughs> We lowered the standard a little bit. In other words, we went from nine feet to about six or seven feet, you know. And so I can dunk a basketball, but not on the standard, too. All right. Uh, so, uh, but he says this, I can accept all things, I can do all things. But notice verse number 18, he says this, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of, of, of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. I have all. So he says, I can accept all things. I can do all things. I have all things. And so these are some of the keys that we see over, uh, through his uh, victory over circumstances. Now, Paul did not have to be pampered in order to be content. He found his contentment in the spiritual resources that are abundantly provided by Christ. Now, I just want to ask you a question and to really examine yourself for a moment this evening, where do you find contentment? When are you okay with life, okay with what's going on around you? Uh, you know, I, I, as Christians, I believe that we learn certain things that don't have to, everything don't have to be right. But, you know, I, I, I personally, I have sought for contentment in my relationships, in my marriage, in my home, in my finances, I've, in, in, in the way the church is going. I've sought for contentment there. Now that is not where you, you, we, we should be content in those things, but that should not be our source of contentment. If it is, we're going to be discontented a lot of times. Uh, because we're not perfect others aren't perfect Circum- people aren't perfect circumstances aren't perfect So if your contentment lies in everything being okay uh, Then you know it reminds me of when when you know God's blessed us with the four children that he's given us And uh, you know and one of the things they would say after the children were born well as long as they're healthy Is that an interesting thing that we say? Well, what if they're not healthy? You know, I mean, what if they're not healthy? It's great that they're healthy, but even if they're not, what then? You be content. What? What? You go to the doctor's report, and we, we, we say these things all the time, and it's interesting. We, 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 we are conditioned to say, I went to the doctor's report, and listen, this is a good statement. Don't misunderstand me. I, I went to the doctor's report. Praise God, I got a good report. And now, but we, we, we generally don't think to ourselves, hey, praise God, I got a bad report. He said, because that would be insane, Pastor. But if I got a bad report, and I'm just telling you the truth, if I got a bad report, I'm not telling you what I would do, but if I did get a bad report, guess who knew I was going to get a bad report? Guess who's in control of all that? My God is. So you say, so Pastor, are you going to come in here shouting and praising the Lord if you get a bad report at the hospital? I hope so, but I'm not saying that I would, but I'm just saying that it's interesting how that we think sometimes. Where do you find your contentment? Everything's going good in my life right now, so I'm happy. All of a sudden things aren't good in my life, so I'm sad. Folks, that is not, that is not victorious. That is not conquering uh, Christianity. That is not where God wants you to live. So what is the secret to contentment? He gives us some things here as we're going to see. One thing I want to say here quickly is that contentment is not complacency. When we study uh, the the next temperament that we're going to study, we'll probably do a little bit more on melancholy this Sunday but is phlegmatic. Uh, the phlegmatic temperament is the cool, calm, everything, it's all good, and honestly can be a little bit on the complacent side. Uh, they're naturally content, borderline, over into complacency. But that's not what kind of contentment we're talking about. So contentment is not complacency, nor is it a false peace based on ignorance, you know. Uh, you know, and I'll say this, I'm, I'm going to pick on Dory, and I'm not saying that there's not a uh, some truth into it sometimes, but one of the things that's said about uh, Doria, and I hope she don't mind me using her as illustration, because it's too late, um, <laughs> but one of the things that's said about her, by especially her co-workers and stuff like that, is, man, I'd like to live in your world, you know, I'd like to, to live in your mind for one day, and and, and I get it, I really do, and, and, and I know they're not saying, saying anything uh, derogatory or be, being disrespectful, but at the same time, there just seems to be almost like an indication of, oh, she's just a little ignorant, you know, she's off in the, no, she's not ignorant, she's content in Christ. Amen. She's just okay. Uh, she, see th- she sees things through a different prism and a different perspective. And so, contentment is not complacency. It's not based on ignorance. The complacent believer is, un- is um, a complacent believer is unconcerned about others, while the contented Christian wants to share his blessings. Contentment is not escape from the battle. But rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. All right, contentment. What does he say there in verse number 11? Let's look at it again. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, Uh, Y'all to underline that word learned right there. I have learned. That word learned means learned by experience. It's not something he was taught. It's something that he has lived. Now, if you struggle with contentment, I've got good news for you. You can learn contentment, but the way we learn it is through experience. In other words, this seems to indicate that initially, perhaps when Paul first got saved, it was not a, not a part of his nature, especially considering his temperament, to be content. Something, uh, he, it's what wasn't it something he had immediately after he was saved. He has learned this through his trials, through his difficulties. He's learned to be content. He had, he had to go through many difficult experiences of life in order to learn how to be content. Now, the word content, this is kind of cool, it means contained. It means contained. It describes, it's a description of the man whose resources are within him so that he does not have to depend on substitutes from without. So being content means you don't need anything on the outside, you're contained on the inside. Now, this word content or contained it was it, it the, the Greek word actually means self-sufficient, but now we know right away that's not a very good description of what Christian contentment is. But it was a favorite word of the Stoic philosophers of Greece. But it, but the Christian obviously is not sufficient in himself; he is sufficient in Christ because Christ lives within us. But he lives within you and I. You are adequate. FOR THE DEMANDS OF LIFE. SO SINCE WE HAVE CHRIST, WE'RE CONTENT. WHETHER YOU you ARE CONTENT OR NOT, YOU SHOULD BE CONTENT BECAUSE YOU you HAVE SOMETHING OR SOMEONE WITHIN YOU THAT IS ADEQUATE FOR ANYTHING THIS LIFE COULD POSSIBLY THROW AT US. CONTENTMENT. THERE'S ONE one OF MY FAVORITE STORIES, I SUPPOSE, ON CONTENTMENT is, IS ABOUT THE DIAMOND MINE OF GOLCONDA OF INDIA. Into the 19th century, this was uh, one of the largest diamond mines, the, 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 the finest diamonds and, and the largest diamond of the day was found in the Golconda uh, diamond mine. Now, uh, there's a story that's told about an ancient Persia, a Persian by the name of Ali Hafed. He owned a very large farm uh, that had orchards, grain fields, and gardens. Ali was a wealthy and content man. One day, though, Ali entertained a guest who told him all about diamonds and how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. Ali Hafed went to bed that night, a poor man. Now, he was a wealthy man. But he went to bed a poor man because he was discontented. See, discontentment can make a rich man poor, and contentment can make a poor man rich, all right? But he, he went to bed poor that night craving a mine of diamonds. And he just sat in bed and those images of these sparkling diamonds just danced through his head. He sold his farm and his, uh, all, all of his possessions to go look for these rare stones. He traveled the world over. Finally, he became so poor and broken and defeated that he committed suicide. One day, the man who purchased Ali-Hafed's farm led his camel into the garden to drink. As his camel put his nose into the brook, the man saw a flash of light from the sands of the stream. He pulled a stone that reflected all the hues of the rainbow. The man had discovered the the mine of Golconda, the most magnificent diamond mine perhaps in all of history. Think about that. Had Ali-Hafed remained at home and dug in his own garden, he would have had acres of diamonds instead of experiencing death in a strange land. The more we want from a human perspective, the less we have. The the, the moral of that story is this. Don't go looking outside of yourself for what you already have. I mean, the Bible, we, we studied the book of Ephesians before Philippians. The riches we have in Christ... I mean, I, I, you know, I think about young people a lot. There's there's a lot with with contentment there with young people. It seems like when you're young, and I don't know how many of you could agree with this, um, and I'm still young, so maybe I can identify with this as well. Uh, yeah, by some standards, I am, but uh, I'm a big hit at the nursing home, so just that always makes me feel better. Uh, but so, uh, but really, you know, it seems like no matter what size town you're in or what town you're in, most kids think, I can't wait to get out of this town. I need something bigger. I need something better. Uh, you know, oh, it's going to be so great. Uh, you know, and I'm telling you, uh, the, the fact of the matter is you need to learn some contentment because if you go searching for contentment, number one, if you don't have contentment, you're, you're broke. And you, if you go looking for contentment, you're not going to find contentment in things. If you can't find the contentment from what God has done on the inside of you, you will never find contentment. This man had the largest, most, uh, most profitable uh, diamond mine ever. He owned it, but he went outside of himself looking, searching for it. Had he just stayed there, had he just kept doing his thing, being happy. He was fine before till he got these thoughts in his head. Uh, Listen, he would have discovered this, but instead he died a broke, sad man. And let me tell you something, if you go out in this world looking for contentment, you're going to die broken and sad. It, It repeats itself time and time again. Now this chapter, real quickly, Paul names three wonderful spiritual resources that make us adequate and give us contentment. So what do we already have that we can have? What's the secret of this contentment? Number one, notice what the Bible says in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. YOU KNOW IN THIS DAY OF SCIENTIFIC ACHIEVEMENT, WE HEAR LESS AND LESS ABOUT THE PROVIDENCE OF GOD. WE SOMETIMES GET THE IDEA THAT THE WORLD IS A VAST NATURAL MACHINE AND THAT EVEN GOD HIMSELF CANNOT INTERRUPT uh, THE WHEELS THAT ARE TURNING, BUT THE WORD OF GOD CLEARLY TEACHES THE PROVIDENTIAL WORKINGS OF GOD IN NATURE AND IN THE LIVES OF HIS PEOPLE. The word providence comes from two Latin words, pro, meaning before, and video, meaning to see. So before and see, that's what uh, providence, the word means, but God's providence simply means that God, it means more than God just sees it beforehand. It means he sees it, he knows it, and because providence involves that, his working, his working in advance to arrange circumstances and situations for the fulfilling of his purposes. Now, always remember this. When we're talking about providence, we're talking about sovereignty and things of these nature, uh, always you can never use one rule to violate another rule. Uh, God's sovereignty and God's providence never, never violates God's, uh, God's rule of um, man having free will. So, but God is able to see ahead and He knows what man is going to do. Remember, He does not force man to do anything. Now, there, there are situations uh, within the, the the world of uh, politics where He'll set up kings and He'll do things of this nature. Um, but especially in regards to one's salvation, we know that God uh, allows uh, His, His Spirit and His truth to work. He He'll or- orchestrate circumstances to give people an opportunity to come to Him. But even, even in the midst of the world where people are not making decisions, I just want to be very clear to say this, because I know I'm not being clear over the last 30 seconds there, but that not everything that happens is the will of God. Now, I just want to make that clear Now I've said that many times but it needs to be said because there's some people that hear about sovereignty, they hear about providence and then they sit back and say, why would God allow these things to happen in our world, in our country, in our life? Why is God doing that? Why did, why did God want this to happen? God didn't want it to happen. God allowed it to happen. Not everything that happens is God's will. He says, is that true? We'll go back to the very first man and woman. Was it God's will for Adam and Eve to sin? absolutely not because he told them not to take of the fruit but they did anyway so from the very beginning they did not do what god's will was but here's the thing about it with god's providence he's never caught off guard he's never caught off guard he's never surprised he knows what men are going to choose and then he works around that and so he wasn't caught off guard uh, off guard in the garden, he's never caught off guard. So he orchestrates circumstances for his purposes and for for the for his glory and for man's good. Now, one of the great illustrations of this story, of course, is Joseph, which, as many of you know, is my uh, fa- one of my favorite. Uh, text in all the Bible, Joseph, Uh, but man, you think about the providence working in his life, you know, how how he was the beloved son of the father and how his his brothers uh, sold him to be a slave, but uh, providence took him to uh, Potiphar's house, Uh, and then uh, all but something bad happened there, Uh, you know, he was falsely accused. He spent 10 years in prison, but Providence followed him there, and he obtained favor in that prison, and he was a blessing. And the Bible says along the way that God was with him. The Lord was with him all that time. And I promise you one thing, good thing about Providence, good thing about whatever we go through, God is going to be with you. Amen? Just like he was with Joseph. But then Providence led the butler, uh, and, the, uh, the butler and the baker uh, into the prison. And just one thing led to another, and you can see to where ultimately one of the greatest statements on Providence ever is that you meant it for evil? You meant it for evil. Your your free will worked what you meant for evil. His brothers, but he says God meant it for good. See God's providence is always out ahead. Hallelujah! I just got to stop right there because sometimes, man, you ever has life ever given you a curveball? I mean, as I mean, uh, you know, have you ever been surprised? Have you ever been knocked back on your heels or knocked back on your back? I mean, but here's the good thing. God never is. I'm telling you, God's providence is with us. Amen. God's providence is working. God sees what we're facing. And I'm telling you, hallelujah, he's going to work. And he's not figuring out what he's going to do. Man, I'm telling you what, he knows what he's going to do. And I'm telling you, that's why we can be content. We can be content. Why? Number one, because of the providence of God. The providence of God, the overruling providence of God he said God sent me to preserve life see think about the lives I mean the nations that were saved because of Joseph the providence of God see many Christians today have the opportunity and, and just like with Paul I'm sorry i didn't back up here of course another great verse on providence is Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God in his providence has caused the the church at Philippi to become concerned about Paul's needs. So that's why we're going to this verse. They cared about Paul. Why? Because God, God knew Paul would end up in prison Paul could say, well, what am I going to do now? But Paul didn't need to worry about what he was going to do now. He knew he was in God's hands, and God knew he was going to be there, so he laid a burden on this church at Philippi of concern, and as a result of that, his needs were met as these people responded to uh, the working and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. They They had been concerned, but initially they lacked the opportunity to help. Many Christians today, many churches have opportunities, but they lack concern. There's some that have concern, but lack opportunity, but there's others that have opportunity, but lack concern. And may, you know, I'm glad we got a church that's concerned, amen? And I was just thinking about that, you know, we were looking to boost our missions program right before, um, you know, COVID did derail some of the things that were on track, but again, God God in His providence knows all about it. Uh, but man, we were just about to have a vote to take on more missionaries. I, I, I was talking to Junior Haley. He's a missionary in Belgium, faithful missionary. He came to the church back years ago, if you remember him. But uh, uh, but he's still just doing a faithful work for the Lord, and his country has a lot of restrictions because of COVID. So for one thing, I'd like to take Junior Haley for support. Uh, but for another thing, they're renting a temporary space as well because they had a space they were using, that they had a church, but their church isn't large enough to let people come with the uh social distancing that's required by law in Belgium. So he's renting another place that's giving them enough room to do that. And it's only $125 a week to rent. But I just thought it'd be a blessing if we just could help them for at least a month of that. You know, take them on for support and then send uh, you know, $125 times four. Five hundred dollars? Did I do it? <laughs> Woo! All right. <laughs> Eric's going to try to get me a job now. Anyway, uh, listen, <laughs> that's impressive stuff, buddy. I mean, listen, you don't just learn the Bible when you come here. You learn math, too. And math is hard, let me tell you. But, uh, but, but, so, but the point is, they had opportunity, and they, had, they, they, they initially had concern without opportunity, but God ended up opening that, that door. Mark this down. Life is not a series of accidents. Life is a series of appointments. Now, they may be accidents from our perspective, but if we get heaven's perspective, we had an appointment. We had a divine appointment. It looks terrible, Paul being beaten, Paul being thrown in jail, Paul being shipwrecked. But he's like, yep, that's, you know, we we got our calendars on our phone, God has his calendar, and there it is. You know, yep, okay, that's... uh, uh, June 26th, and here's the appointment I've got for Jesse. And it's gonna be tough, but I'm gonna give him grace, and he's gonna be stronger. Uh, I'm gonna strengthen him, I'm gonna bring him through. I mean, uh, we've got appointments, not accidents. That's exciting to me, man. I, I'm glad. I just gotta stop and say, woo! Because nothing else will do. Because my life is in God's hands. Your life is in God's hands. No accidents. Appointments, Amen. nothing sneaking up on God, sneaking up on us. Sure, but remember the whole the whole point that's emphasized repeatedly in this book and in the New Testament and in Ephesians is in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord, Amen. See, my life is in the Lord, and so, man, it's just good. So, so therefore, one of the secrets, one of the secrets to this contentment, to to contentment, is the overruling. Providence of God. I like what the Bible says in Psalm 32, verse 8. The Lord says, I will guide thee with mine eye. His providence. He's seeing it. I I will guide thee with mine eye. Abraham called God Jehovah-Jireh. We know that means the Lord will provide, but it also has an idea of Jehovah will see to it. That's the idea. Same thing. He'll provide. He'll see to it. Amen. And uh, not only that. I like what the Bible says in John 10, verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. See, the Lord's not prodding us along; The Lord is leading us. Amen. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Amen. Where'er I go, where'er I be, uh, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Y'all, would y'all rather me sing it than just say it? All right, listen. Uh, he leads me. Preacher, I'm going through a tough time. The Lord's been through it first. Amen? Amen? Amen. I don't understand these circumstances. Hey, I'm walking through the valley, but there's good news. Thou art with me. Hallelujah. (laughs) So, one of our encouragements, one of our resources, is the overruling providence of God. Can't you just rest in that? Can't you just ride in that? I mean, man, I'm glad I'm in Christ. Okay, so one resource is for contentment is the overwhelming providence of God or the overcoming, the overruling uh, providence of God. The second thing is the unfailing power of God. The unfailing power of God. Look at verses uh, uh, 11 through 13. The Bible says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be Content. Uh, I know, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. See, Paul's quick to let his friends know that he's not complaining. His happiness does not depend on circumstances or things. His joy comes from something far deeper, something apart either from poverty, poverty or prosperity. Let's <laughs> see, that's why I got it made. Poverty or prosperity. Uh, yeah. Prosperity. I'm going to need an interpreter in just a moment. Amen. All right. Listen, because you think about it. Most of us have learned how to be abased. We get abased, we get kind of knocked down to the base, we get going through tough times. Well, we know how to turn to the Lord during those times, don't we? But boy, a lot of times it's a challenge on the other side. He said, I've learned how to be abased and to abound. See, I've I've even learned when things were abounding in my life, I've learned even then to be content, not with those things, but in Christ. Because it can be easy to be content to a certain extent when... Everything's going bad, and you just got to trust the Lord, and He's going to bring me through. But if we're not careful, we can become to be content. See, Paul learned how to uh, to be abased as well as abound. Um, see, prosperity. Somebody said this: prosperity has done more to damage believers than adversity has. That's an easy statement, right there. That's not a profound statement whatsoever, is it? If you think about it, prosperity has done more to damage believers than has adversity. Adversity. Uh, Revelation 3:17. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You know, it reminds me of the story, and, and don't misunderstand me here, I thank God for the blessings He's given us in this country, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying right here. But I will say this, I, I just it, it stuck with me so often how that, I believe it was in Romania, there was a, a group of Christians that were taking a mission trip over there, and their response when they got over to this portion part of Romania, I mean, they were so poor, you know, this is those, those parts of Eastern Europe where a lot of times people are trying to get shoes, I mean, it's wintertime, people don't have shoes, they don't have food, uh, and Uh, but then, man, you go to church. You go to church. You see what God's doing in church. You see what God's doing through the Christian lives. But our perspective as, as, as American Christians a lot of times is, man, those poor Romanians or whoever they may be. But then one of them come back with the Americans to America, and after being here for a while, Bob mentioned praying for revival. You know what they said? They said, these poor Americans. These poor Americans. They have it all but they don't have, uh, you know, that touch, that desperation. Now, we can have it, Uh, amen, so don't, uh, you know, uh, we we just have to learn not to place our contentment. I'm I'm not, I'm not, don't be trying to make me feel guilty about something, all right? God's blessed us in this country, and I'm just going to say thank the Lord for it, right? That's not the problem. The problem is us putting, if, if we put contentment in that, and we don't have to put contentment in it. We don't there, there was plenty of very wealthy people in the New Testament that God used greatly. Why? Because they weren't content with their wealth. I mean they were content with their wealth but that's not where their content it was in Christ. So they learned how to abound. So what, what it is is we have to learn not only how to be abased, we have to learn to abound. you know I think about you know our, our early marriage years man, we learned how to be abased. Amen but I'll tell you as we as you go on through life sometimes you have to learn to abound as well. And so, uh, so uh, the, the unfailing power of God. But here, here's what I'm trying to get to. Notice what he says here in verse number 12. I, I, I emphasize the word "instructed." I am instructed. That word uh, is the the, the word uh, is is the same as the word "learned." Instructed means uh, means initiated into the secret. That's why this message is called the secret of contentment. Initiated into the secret, and if that sounds cultic to you, that's because the that was a, a word that was used oftentimes for pagan religions when they would come into their secret societies and so forth. Um, but uh, not for us, Amen. This isn't a secret society. But the point is, is he he's referencing an inner secret. He's referencing something that the world seems to be puzzled about. Paul was initiated. Not into a secret club, but he was initiated into the wonderful secret of contentment in spite of poverty or prosperity. And that's why he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It was the power of Christ within him that gave him spiritual contentment. Friends all around me are trying to find what the heart yearns for by sin undermined. I have the secret, I know where it is found, only true pleasures in Jesus abound. All that I want is is in Jesus, He satisfies, joy He supplies, life would be worthless without Him, all things in Jesus I find." So I'm instructed, there's a secret here. What's the secret? And, and again, it's not a secret, we're sharing it right now, uh, but for so many people it is like a secret because they're just so convinced that it's outside when it's really inside, especially if you're saved. If you're not saved, come to Christ. Find contentment, amen. You're not. And you know, we, we were praying for a dear friend during prayer request, and when we had altar of prayer and so forth, a person that had tried religion, therefore they, they, they thought, well, that's not it. Folks, it's not about religion, it's about Christ. It's about knowing Jesus as your Savior. We're talking about a, a personal relationship here, not trying to keep the rules of some religion. But you know, if you think about it, all nature depends on hidden resources. The great trees send their roots down into the earth to draw up water and minerals. Rivers have their source, sources in the snow-capped mountains. The most important part of a tree is the part that you cannot see. The root system. And the most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. I'll say that again. The most important part of the Christian life is the part that nobody else sees but God sees. Unless we draw on the deep resources of God by faith, we fail against the pressures of life. We become shallow. Paul depended on the power of Christ that was at work in his life. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul's motto for ministry and for life is I can through Christ. That's it. And that can be our motto as well. Oh, my friend, I mean, trusting in Him, not self sufficient. Jesus said, Without me, ye can do nothing. So it's through Him, but we can do all things through Him. Contentment. So the one, one, uh, secret of contentment is the overruling providence of God. The other is the unfailing power of God that we have working within us. The last, the last one that I'll not expound on is the, the unchanging promise of God. The unchanging promise of God. That's verses 14 through 20. So I'm going to skip that for now. But you can mark it down. The unchanging promise of God. If God promised it, He will come through. Amen? So, How are you in the area of contentment? Does does certain things, and and, you know, what I feel like as a Christian is that we we can be on these certain levels of growth in our life. I really think that as we go through life, we really do learn not to find contentment in things that we once did. I feel like that can, that our, where we look outside for contentment, uh, those options for us slowly uh, dwindle down as we go on in Christ. But I think sometimes we may just have a one or two things now to where we still look for contentment. Overall, you know, this isn't well, that's fine, I'm content in Christ. This isn't going well, that's fine, I'm content in Christ, that's not going well. But there's that one thing, that one relationship that one circumstance that when it arises, you're no longer content, you're worried, you're outside of yourself, and you're forgetting about the overruling providence of God, you're forgetting about the overcoming power of God, and you're forgetting about the unchanging promise of God. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a, lot, a lot of it's about perspective. And if we could just get the right perspective, the right paradigm, now, look, you know, as we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. I heard about a pilot that would fly out of Charlotte, North Carolina and head west. And if you fly out of Charlotte, North Carolina and head west, it's not too long till you're flying over the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, you know, that's, that's like one of them things, you listen to people that say, oh, isn't it Appalachian? No, if you're from there, it's Appalachian, all right? Uh, we're, we're from there, let us call it what we will, okay? Uh, anyway, the Appalachian Mountains, sorry. Uh, But uh, flying over the mountains, and you could call it Appalachian if you want to. You're a Yankee; it's fine. Okay, you can get by with it. But uh, but he'd fly over those mountains, and uh, and every time he would he would pause and just be so distracted, and you could just see him just kind of looking out as he'd fly over those mountains and go by. And and every every flight back and forth, uh, he would do that. And his co-pilot finally asked. He said, "Why does it? Why every time? You know, he he figured he was looking at the mountains because they're beautiful. But is there more to it than that?" He's like, well, he said, somewhere down there, he said, there's a creek. There's a creek that runs right through those hills right there. And he says, when I was a little boy, he said, I would sit in that creek, and he said, every once in a while, a plane would fly overhead. And I would think to myself, man, I would sure like to be up there. There's no other place I'd rather be than up there. He wanted to be a pilot from, the, from a very young age. He said, but now here I am, and I got to the plane, And now, when I'm flying over that little creek, he said, I'm looking down and thinking to myself, man, I'd give anything just to be down there. Ain't that right? That's how it goes sometimes. Uh, And... Uh, Don't don't waste your life looking for contentment in other things. Find your contentment in Christ. If you don't know Christ, I'd love to introduce you to him. Amen. He's a wonderful friend. He's a wonderful savior. It's his will for you to be saved. Uh, He wants you to to, to find forgiveness of your sins against God. He paid the price to do that. He loves you so much that he went to the cross to pay death's uh, penalty And if you just turn your heart to him today, he'll save your soul. Amen. And you can find this contentment. Child of God, you can learn. Amen. Paul said, I've learned. It's a process. But I'm learning to be content. Amen. That's why he was finally able to say to me some of the greatest words ever. You know, after praying three times, he just said, most gladly, therefore, will I suffer. Most gladly, therefore, I'll take this thorn because he's with me. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Are there any uh, closing questions or comments?